Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Okay, okay, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm recording this on the same day that I did the last one because I honestly, I couldn't, I can't stay there. Like it was so, it was such a low, like in my mind, that podcast was like very subdued. <laughs> and I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm well, I'm not, I'm not sorry. It is the essence of an epic, right? It, it, there's ebb and flow ups and downs is it's just the way that it goes. And, and in doing so, you get the essence of life and relationship. I, I've often said that relationships are living, breathing organisms. I know in a scientific sense, it's not, but philosophically it is. And, and they, they have to grow. There has to, whoa, sorry. I just gulped down my last bit of coffee and uh, excuse me for that little rumble. Uh, you have to, if they're not living and breathing and moving, then they're dying. And many people hang out in dead relationships all the time. Relationships that have uh, lost momentum, lost the breath of life. They just, they're just existing. And over, you know, they, they distract themselves from that for a long period of time. And then eventually they decide, you know, this this has been dead for a while and the relationship's over. So in an epic story, in the narrative, similar things happen. You got an ebb and flow. You got you got ups and downs. And I think it's important to go in those low points, to go in those points where you spend a whole chapter lamenting or in sorrow. Uh, although you're, you know, David was listening to this great um, battle scenes and and the ultimate defeat of Israel it as epic as that description might have been from the Amalekite, it was hard for him to take and it and it left him in a state of of lamenting of mourning and everybody there uh, you know joined him in that uh, in that position and then he wrote the song and then and then they go on so so now we get to the the second chapter of second Samuel and and here, uh, we we start to things start to get really kind of complicated in this chapter. Now I don't know how far we'll get today. I I have a goal, but I know better than to make commitments because I talk a lot. So time will tell. But here we go. It says in the course of time. Oh, I love those phrases. You guys know this already about me. I love these phrases that's that basically say. This took a long time. You can't do this quickly. So many people read the verse, right? They're reading through the Bible in a year, and they just fly right over that phrase. And I don't blame them because you're trying to get through the Bible in a year. I personally never done it. So not that I haven't read the Bible, but in a year, that's you got to stay focused. You and, and this is why I can't read it in a year is because my brain is like a movie. And when I start reading the Bible, it's it's like the the reel starts going, and it's like, oh, what is what was going on? Who was around him when this happened? And what is David doing at this time? In the course of what time? How long did this take? Was this weeks? Was this months? I think it was probably months. But what is important 
is that David doesn't grab the throne. I know I covered that pretty much uh, in detail in the last podcast, but again, David didn't grab the throne. He didn't escalate the violence. He didn't force his way in because he had, quote, the God-given right to be there. Fascinating. Fascinating concept of leadership. (laughs) And somebody who hears from God, I cannot, (laughs) I cannot. I suppose I could if I thought about it. But many times in my life, I have run into people who, who have a clear, a very clear uh, uh, direction from God. And they don't understand why it didn't work out. And as they describe to me what they did, it, it sounds to me like they forced the issue. I remember, I remember uh, hearing, you know, what, what I would call prophetic words of encouragement. You know, somebody uh, at this, at this, in this particular memory, I'm having uh, somebody from a pulpit, uh, just, just, just encouraging people in the audience. And he, and he had this one very popular young man stand up, and he, he gave him such a word of like leadership and, and uh, honor, like, like he, he had that role of being a massive leader. And, and everybody agreed, like he was well known in the community, in the church community. I was, I was sitting there and thinking, yeah, it was, it was also interesting because the speaker was a guest speaker. He had no idea who this guy was. We all did. And we're hearing this, this encouraging word come from the pulpit. And we were like, yep, like that's exactly who he is. But where is he now? Is he leading people? Nope. No, he uh, he didn't approach the anointing well. You you there's you know there's two ways to to take an anointing to take words of encouragement, and one is to let it die, and the other is to force it. In both in both ways, they won't turn out quite as they you know quite as as the as the Lord might have try to encourage you with like the picture of it the the ideal the ideal really has to do with this balance of of understanding the word from the lord and the timing of the lord and and the only way to get the timing right is to stay in relationship with him see that's what god is all about that's what the you know heaven is all about it's the way the heaven is governed it's in relationship of all the pictures that god could have used regarding him he chose to picture himself as a as a what, what, what yeah what we call a trinity right as a as a triad of equal equal value equal parts equal voice but he pictures himself in relationship with a spirit and a son and a father fascinating to me because he pulls it all in he says basically we all have to stay in contact this is the picture of heaven this is how i want it done on earth and and David, I believe David in his heart of hearts understood this. In his heart of hearts, he understood this, which is why the next phrase of the verse, David inquired of the Lord. This is fascinating. He said, shall I go up to one of the towns in Judah? And the Lord said, yes. And then David says, which one? And he senses the word Hebron. Now, I don't think, again, I don't think it's these are thundering voices from, from the sky. The voice of God is, is something that's very, 
sounds very much like your own voice. I, I think uh, several podcasts ago I talked about it at length. It it often when when people are learning to hear the voice of God, it often sounds uh, like their own voice in their head. Why would God do that? Because it's familiar. It's something that you would know. If he comes in, you know, if the voice is really strange, then then you might be scared of it. He comes in with your own tone of voice so that you hear it and you understand it. And you're not afraid to listen to it. So he's, he says, yes, go to Judah. Go to your tribesmen. Go to your people. Go to your family. Now remember, his mom and dad are in Moab. They We never see them again. But he does have several of his brothers with him and their wives and their kids. And they've evidently uh, got a working relationship. I wouldn't call it a close, intimate one where David can really be himself around his family. I think he had that with Jonathan, but he didn't have it with his actual brothers. But they had a working relationship. They they understood. The brothers understood David is the man. David, you know, they, they saw enough evidence of the favor and blessing and protection and and the choices that David made and the way that he leads men and 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 women and children and the way he provides and protects and and I think all of that impacted them. And even though they, they may have denied him their whole lives up until that point, I think that they there was a respect uh that that eventually they gained for him as a leader at the very least. If not as their brother, at least as a leader. And that was uh that was kind of cool. So he says, uh, God says, yes, you know, go up to Judah. Awesome. Where in Judah? Go to the Hebron area. All right. And I don't know if this happened during a worship you know, set. I don't know if this happened while David was praying. I don't know if it happened while he was walking uh, walking the streets of Ziglag. I don't know if this happened. Like, like where it happens and how it happens is irrelevant because you can talk to God anywhere. And David knew that. David had such a close interaction with God at all t- at all times when he wanted it, because God doesn't force himself on anyone, that he understood he could ask God these questions. So I kind of picture David getting up from the elder's chair at the city gate after they've mourned for Saul for for that day. Maybe it's been about a week later. Guys are, you know, still putting the city back together. Things are getting back to normal. Uh, the Philistines have moved into the, the country. They've taken over the capital city uh, from you know from Saul. I mean, they they defeated him. They killed him. David knows that that there's you know there's trouble everywhere. There's probably trouble for him. Technically, the Philistines don't know that David is uh, considering leaving the country. They don't know that he's considering going back to his people. They would suspect that he probably wouldn't want to because his people were just defeated by the Philistines. So why wouldn't he want? To, why wouldn't he want to stay on the winning team? And David is considering all these things, and he's. I think he's walking. Probably a general practice of his. And he looks out over the desert, and he and he just says, "You know, Lord, where where should I go? Should I go back? My country is without a king." Like, is this your time? That's really what he's asking. Is this your time? I don't want to grab the throne. I don't want to, I don't want to go after this. David's heart was to follow God. Being the king was not David's top priority. 
following God was was God was David's top priority. He had he had ignored the presence of God for probably a year and a half while he was in the country of the Philistines. And and it just the emptiness just wasn't worth it. The the comfort of having his own city of of being able to provide protection and food for his for those who followed him like all of that when he looks back it wasn't worth it. He'd much rather be connected maintain that connection with God than to try and do this on his own. So he's really, I, I, I sense in this question an acknowledgement on David's part that says, I, I don't want to do this alone. I'm not going to do this without you. I'm not going to take the kingship without you. You're, you are my highest priority. Now, does David still make rash decisions? Yes. He did so, I think, in the last chapter when he killed the Amalekite. He didn't have to do that. But still, his highest priority was following God. You could say that it was, you know, um, it was following God. I, I, uh, that phrase, following God, often carries with it this idea that there's times that God walks, uh, walks, you know, without you. <laughs> he just keeps going. You're not following him. He's keep, he's going to keep going. You're not following him. And then, then you can run and catch up to him and finally be in sync with him. I know I, I try to bring this up as often as I can, and I know it might be annoying for those of you who listen every single week, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, God is always with you. So so the phrase following God, when I say that, I don't mean that he was ever separated from David. I just mean that David made staying connected a priority for him. David was making the choice more often than before to connect with God. And that's why this phrase is up there in the first the first verse of this chapter. He inquired of the Lord. He had a conversation, one of many, and in that conversation he said, "What do you think? Should I should I go back to the country? What's your what's your timing on this? Like what's where where are we going? Because I'm going wherever you go. You're the priority, not not where I want, not what my people think. I don't care about the Philistines and what they think. David probably even knows. Listen, when the Philist, you know, if, if uh, Agag, uh, not Agag, uh, Akish, <laughs> Agag was Saul. Saul killed him. Uh, no, Samuel killed him. Saul brought him back. Sorry, uh, flashback. Um, Akish, if Akish comes by, I'm going to have to be honest with him. So that could make life interesting for me. But let's see what happens. You know, what, what, what do you want me to do? He's like, no, go go back to Judah. Go back to your family. Cool. Well, where? Like he didn't, he didn't immediately assume this is uh, another really important thing about listening to God. God will sometimes tell you the end, you know, where you're going. And he wants you to ask for the details. He doesn't want you just to plow forward, make an assumption, and go for it. This happens uh, probably in my life. I see this mostly when people sense that God wants them to go to different schools. And they'll, they'll get a sense that God wants them to go to a school, usually a ministry school. Now, whether or not they've been to other schools or not that is irrelevant. Like They get a sense, and then they're just like, boom, this is, I'm going here. I'm, you know, God told me to go to school. I'm going here. They don't spend the time to have conversations with the Lord and say, which one do you want me to go to? Which one? Like, why Why do you want me to go to an 
What are we looking for? What's the goal here? Now, sometimes the answer is just go. Like, honestly, I do believe God gives you options. He loves giving you options. And sometimes he gets really specific. So when he says to to David, go to Hebron, he's not telling David, like it would have been, he didn't tell David to go back to his hometown, but it would have been easy for David to consider, if I'm going back to Judah, I'm going back to my hometown. That must be where God wants me to go. But he didn't assume that. He spent the time to have the conversation and listen. And the Lord said, Hebron. So David went. He goes to Judah. This is his tribe. These are his people. Oh, he's probably about 30 years old, by the way. Just saw that little note on my notes. And he takes his two wives with him. Now, why why is it important? Why are those listed again? Well, that's because Abigail was a widow, uh, widow, widow. She was a widow, widow girl. She was the widow of Nabal, if you remember, of Carmel. And that was located where? It was located in Judah. And who was Nabal? Nabal was an incredibly wealthy man. Remember, he, he had, he had dinner banquets like a king. He had influence and impact on the marketplace around his entire tribe and probably also in other other marketplaces. He had influence. It was important that Abigail was with him because she was his Nabal's widow and David had taken care of her. David had taken her in. This this would like this would this is kind of the beginning notes of the diplomacy end of David. You understand that up until this point, up until this point, David's main goal was survival. He had been in the palace with Saul. He had seen the governing of of Saul. He had given advice and counsel to Saul. He had done a ton of military exploits for Saul and for the country. So most of his experience was really in the area of war, (laughs) warfare and worship, which, you know, spiritually speaking, are the same things. This this journey into Judah is the start of diplomacy. And having Abigail was, imp- was an important aspect of that. That's why she's mentioned. David took the men with him who were with him, not just the men, but all their families. And they went into the Hebron area and they settled into, their, into the towns. They didn't all live in one city. This is also... I think another step in diplomacy. David's David's coming into into Israel. He's coming back to his home tribe and he's saying I'm not looking to take things over. Because when when they first show up, this had to look like what's David doing? He's got 600 men with him, 30 mighty men. He's got all their families. Like David, it would look like He's coming in to take things over. What's David doing? How do we interact with him? So David shows up and he tells his men, you know, let's let's just find places to live. So people spread out. I'm sure that David had friends. I'm sure that, that the men had friends. I'm sure they had the connections from times that they had moved around in in this area and in this region and in the forests and the caves and the various villages. And if you remember, when they 
when they uh, took over the Amalekites who had looted Ziglag, remember David took all of his plunder and he released uh, awards and, and uh, uh, benefits to all the towns and tribes that had and villages that had helped them while they were over there in Judah. So, so a lot of them already had goodwill toward David. They knew that, you know, that, that at the very least David wasn't going to attack them in their villages, but the word was getting out. So here comes David with his 600 men who were clearly designed for warfare and all of their families. And everybody's wondering, is he just going to take over a town? Is he going to kick us all out? Like that was not unusual. People were wondering how David was going to treat them, what type of leader he was. And he comes in and he says, guys, just, uh, you know, find a place to live. Stick around. Stay, you know, try and stay close. I'll let you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll meet next week. So then the next verse, the next verse, the men of Judah come to Hebron. Who are the men of Judah? The leader of all the tribes, all the families, sorry, not the tribes, all the families, the elders of all the families, they from Judah. So we're talking, I don't know, dozens. They met before they went to see David. Trust me. They had had conversations before David showed up. David comes, they they start sending messages to each other. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? David's in town. And the and it was unanimous. We should make him king. We all know he was anointed king. Whether his father agreed that that he was his son or not was irrelevant. Samuel anointed him the next king of Israel. We should we should support that. Now there were people in the in this tribe, remember, there were people in this tribe that had fought along Saul. There were people in this tribe that probably had some benefits from Saul. Now Saul didn't really like Judah very much, but I have no doubt that there were people there that had some stake in the previous administration. But when David showed up, they all anointed him king over the house of Judah. And when David was was told that this happened. Like, he, he gets anointed. Sorry, I, I started reading before I, uh, before, before I finished talking. <laughs> oh, my brain. I love it. I love my head. All right. It's really fun to live in there. Uh, it really is. All the voices get along really well. They often tell me jokes. Okay, enough about me. On with the story. So he becomes king over the... Over the house of Judah. So all the tribe, all the families of the tribe of Judah are like, you lead us, you tell us what to do. They're saying, if you want us to go to war, we'll go to war with you. If you, you know, if you want to separate from the rest of the nation, we can separate. It'll just be you. Like you're our leader. So I don't know where David, you know, what what his days look like now. I'm sure David is is figuring out figuring it out as well. This is a new job for David to be crowned king of the tribe. And he was the king of the tribe in Hebron for 7 years. Okay, over the next several chapters that we're going to go through and it's it's gets crazy cuz there's civil war going on and and all kinds of all kinds of back and forths of family issues and 
Saul's family and oh my cousins and uncles and brothers. It's it it gets complicated. It'll be fun. It's fun to go through because it's fun because you start for me, it it adds to all the layers that had that David had to make decisions through. Like so many times when we when we skip these chapters. Or we just mentioned them like, well, David was king in Hebron for seven years and then he moved into Jerusalem. Yeah, man, you you can't even imagine what day to day life was like. What did David do? How did he set his up, set up his government? The men of Judah say, you're our king. Now, now what do we do? Like, who are you going to put in charge? Who who's on your council? Who do you trust? We have, uh, you know, <laughs> this is this is always the uh, the I know it's it's not funny, but it's a little funny. Like so many times in my lifetime, I've seen civil wars and squabbles and terror terror dictators take over things, and and they take things over, and then they have to do everyday life, and they can't. Like they were really good at at killing people and taking over the the capital city and and destroying the you know the the governmental buildings and burning everything and throwing all the records out the window and saying yeah we're free we're free we're free and then people are like hey we need water and they're like oh yeah I think we killed all those guys yeah that probably wasn't a good idea or they say hey we need electricity. Yeah, well, we're in charge now. We don't need electric. <laughs> like, it just gets so crazy. And sometimes you see it in movies, too, in war movies, where people are like, you know, starting a revolution is easy. Running the government is where it gets hard. Getting in power is easy. Staying in power is hard. Now, David had years of experience that he's bringing into this kingship. He's he's observed governments. He's observed himself uh, in leadership. He's had back and forth. Like it's, he kind of knows who he is, right? He, his identity with God is pretty secure. So at least his decision-making process is pretty good. But day-to-day, man, that's that's life. And that's what he has to start doing right away. <laughs> figuring out who's picking up the trash. Are we going to set limits? Are we going to do any business with the other tribes of Israel? What are we going to do with the Philistines who have moved into like a quarter of the country and taken over all these villages and the former capital city and 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 along with all the information he's getting, we get this phrase. And that's why I bring all that up, right? I want you to know that it's not like the next thing that David finds out is he was told that the men of, of Jabath had buried Saul. Now, why would he be told this information? He was told this information, whether it was at the city gate or in a council tent or at his residence. He was told this information because somebody was hanging on to that information. Somebody wanted to know, what is David going to do when he finds out about who was kind and showed honor to Saul. This is why it's really this is where diplomacy comes in. This is where this is where his his awareness of the complicated human dynamics of life 
are really important. Because, (laughs) well, because it's important. David was a complicated man. He had multiple facets of his life. And he honored Saul previously. But that could have just been political diplomacy. And there's a difference. Because politicians do things for show. It doesn't really come from their heart. So the people in Judah don't know how sincere was David when he wrote that song. I believe the men who followed David were very convinced that this came from the heart of David. But the rest of the world doesn't know. So they come to David with this information. So when they present the information, the question is inferred. What are you going to do to them? What are you going to do to them? They showed kindness to your enemy, the man who chased you for seven years, the man who attempted to kill you three times, the man who humiliated you publicly when he wouldn't give his firstborn daughter to you as, as wife and instead eventually gave you a second, you know, his secondborn daughter. What are you going to do to the people who showed him kindness? So David sends messengers to the men of, of Jabesh, which is like, right? He sends the men. He sends messengers. They probably are somewhat identifiable, but it's not like they walked up and the men of, of the city were waiting for him. They walked in, they, they in essence, introduced themselves. Hi, we are da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm guessing these were somewhat of the mighty men of, of David. These were trusted deliverers, trusted, at the very least trusted messengers from probably from the, the families of the 600 men that he knew. And he says, I want you to deliver this message. I want you to deliver it from my heart. I don't want any question of my motive. I want this to be clear. This is not politics. This is sincere diplomacy. Because this diplomacy, diplomacy is, it reminds me of that uh, New Testament phrase, to be wise as a serpent and innocent as doves. You need to be aware of the human dynamics you need to be aware of the of of all the potential ways that things can be interpreted but you need to be gentle as doves you need to deliver things in love and so he he approaches he sends a message the lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul your master by burying him now i imagine the men of of jabath jabesh Jabesh. I imagine the men, right, they find out that there's messengers from David. They know that David and Saul did not get along. This was not, you know, uh, a surprise. They knew. So David's men show up, and they know David has some pretty intense fighting men who work with alongside of him. And they hear that there's several messengers from David waiting for them at the gate. So they all get together. And I'm guessing they got together at somebody else's house. They didn't show up, you know, um, in piecemeal. They showed up together. 
And they probably were trying to encourage one another. Like, let's just go down and listen. It's just a trip. We don't see any of his warriors. It's just, you know, three of these messengers. It's, we just, let's go down and listen. And they start out with this phrase, the Lord bless you for showing kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. Then they continue. And may the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. So, so David's message is, the Lord bless you for showing kindness to Saul and his family. And I pray that the Lord will show you more kindness. And I want you to know I will show you the same favor because you've done this. I'm going to follow God's lead on this. Where he has blessed you, I will bless you. Be strong and brave. For Saul, your master is dead and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Why? What, what, what is all that? Why would he want them to know that? Well, what he's doing is he's letting them know, listen, we are, we are neighbors. I'm going to be your friend. He says, Saul, your master is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So he's reminding them, listen, you followed after Saul. You were loyal and honored Saul, and that's fine. But now I'm king over Judah. So I want you to know that there's not going to be civil war. There's not going to be tribal war. I will protect you. And all of Saul's, like he's he's signaling literally to the rest of the nation because they're watching this too. Not that they're all on television watching this, but, but word's going to get out and quickly. Because everybody's wondering, how is David going to respond? Now that he's moved into the country, is he putting together an army? Is he coming after the rest of us? And he's he's in he's signaling to this this village and and therefore to the nation. I'm not looking to create a, a civil war. I'm not looking to create a tribal war. I'm not coming after the friends of Saul. I'm not coming after the families of Saul. I'm not coming after Saul's tribe. I will protect everyone because I'm you know, I'm anointed king over Judah. Like wherever I can, I will show favor. I will show faithfulness. I will show kindness because that's what the Lord does. The you show kindness and I bless you for that and because God is kind, I'm going to be kind. And this is what he's signaling to the to the to the rest of the nation. Now the Philistines controlled Israel. Right? They won the battle. They took over the capital city. Technically, they controlled the land. Abner, who was the, the general commander or commander general of the army, he, he leaves that battle alive. Right, so I don't know where he is when Saul dies, but he leaves that battle alive, and he rides probably immediately to the capital city, and he picks up Saul's youngest son, who is 35 years old. I'll get there. I can't say it. I, I can see it. I can't say it. Anyways, he picks him up and he rides across the Jordan. Like he, he can't stay in the country, but his, he's gone. So the commander general of the, of the Israeli forces is now holed up across the river. And David's looking at all this, and he understands that the nation is nervous. The nation is, is devoid of leadership. 
that Abner has left the country. He has, uh, you know, he has one of the last son of, of Saul with him. And the people are wondering, what is David going to do? And he says, I'm, I'm going to protect all I can. I'm going to do all I can to show kindness. He sees that diplomacy is, is, he understands, not just sees it, he just understands that, that you can't just be a warrior. You also have to be diplomatic. And being diplomatic is different than being a politician. Because diplomacy is based on like a good heart, uh, a good motive, sincere motives. Being, like I said, being political is all about a public show. You, 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 you look like you're kind to others. You look like you value other people. You look like, like you care. And sometimes you're forced to, you know, actually do something in the benefit of other people. But, but politicians generally, and I'm not saying all politicians are like this, but to be political and not diplomatic, to be political means you're always looking for a way for an advantage. You're always looking for a way to take advantage for yourself and for your country. But a true diplomacy is, is based on what you can do for others and showing kindness to others in valuing others enough to invest time in them. And then to also let them know that they have value. A real di diplomat is highly relational. And this is what David is. He is connected so well right now to, to, his, to God's presence around him that he's showing kindness to everybody he can. Now, when a, when a politician sees weakness in someone, they take advantage of it. When they see weakness in, in, in someone's character or in their nature, they look at that and think, okay, how can I exploit that for my advantage? How can I, ex I exploit that so that I get richer or the country benefits or the church uh, you know, benefits, whatever. And, and, and if it's a, if it's a church, like if it's a ministry, if, if a pastor or a ministry leader is a politician, then they're looking for ways to build up their own legacy. They're looking for ways to build up their own history. They're looking for ways to keep their, keep their reputation good. And if they hurt people along the way, well, it's all in the name of Jesus. Like, we're building this for Jesus. Like, I'm sorry that I worked you. And this literally happened to me, okay? There was a time in a, in a ministry that I worked at where I worked seven days a week. I was expected to be on campus uh, before 7 a.m. every morning. And I was expected to leave when they told me sometime after the quote evening service after and usually after we've played some sort of game with everybody so it usually meant i was getting home around 10 now if you know me i'm an early riser but i i do not stay up late very well so most nights i was i was barely hanging on during the service because i usually had some sort of assignment after the evening service and this went on for a long time, and everybody who worked in this organization, in this ministry, was expected to work seven days a week because we were all serving God. 
Now, working from that position is called a slave mentality. And a lot of people look at God and see him as their master and that they're the slaves. And they must do anything God tells them to do, and they must do it for as long as God tells them to do it, and they just beat themselves up until there's nothing left. And that is not the way of Jesus, and therefore it's not the way of God. But a politician will use people up. He'll use or she'll use people up. And and I've seen it happen in churches. I've seen it, uh, you know, I've seen it more than I'd like to admit. And to have the grace to tell people they don't have to serve somewhere forever, to have the awareness to tell people, listen, we just want, if you want to do this, awesome. Do it for as long as you can. And when you're done, just let us know. I, I recall I recall at this at this one ministry where I was working seven days a week. I mean there would be days where they would they you know they somebody my supervisor would say listen Bob you know uh, you you can take the afternoon off but be back here for, you know for dinner. So I would you know get to go home for three or four hours. Man that was amazing. And although I was scheduled for a day off every week, definitely, I was expected to still come in. Because that showed that I was really committed to the to the cause of Christ. That, that showed that I was really committed to the work of the ministry. So even on my day off, I would come in unless when I got there, right, somebody, director, supervisor, whatever, would say, oh, no, Bob, we're, we got it all covered. You don't have to be here today. Then I could go back home and relax. And the same came with, with vacations. I mean, if I... If I told them I was planning on taking a vacation, it was, uh, you know, it was basically they knew they had to give it to me, but they didn't like giving it to me because they'd much rather you wait for them to tell you that it, you deserve a vacation. It, it, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. But a true diplomat values people. And David valued people. And he valued showing kindness. And and he avoided that danger zone of being a politician where you're only doing it for show. And this was one of the ways that he did it. Like he made this kind of commitment. He made it publicly. He made it so that the rest of the nation would see, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to show kindness to the line of Saul. I'm going to show kindness to those who show kindness to Saul. I'm not going to manipulate Weakness, I'm going to protect it. Because this little village that had, our tribe, this small tribe that had shown kindness to Saul, went and got the bodies of him and his sons and buried them appropriately. They could have easily been overrun by David's mighty men. they, They could have easily been in control of David under his thumb. And everybody knew that. But instead, David blesses them and promises to protect them and says I will do that for all. I mean this is this is this is a big deal. And it's awesome. It's awesome. So with all of that, the kindness that was shown and and as the nation saw this uh, this kindness and they were signaled that he was not seeking to seize the throne from Saul's family. This was huge because they're obviously the tribe of Benjamin expected Saul's son, 
Shibabeth, Shibabeth. I'm going to just call him Ish, I think. They expected his son to, to take over the rule eventually, right? The Philistines kind of controlled the country at this point, but they expected they expected Abner to step up and to rally the troops and take on the Philistines and then put Ish, <laughs> put Ish back in the throne so that they could continue. David's basically saying, listen, I'm king over Judah. I'm not king over the nation. But I will show kindness to those that are around me. I'm not going to take advantage of weakness. I'm not going to. I'm not going to attack those who, who you know, were connected to Saul. This is big. This is big. And as a leader, it's it's also a lesson in honor of those who came before you, even if you didn't agree with them, even if they were trying to kill you. You can show honor and kindness. You can. Don't take over somewhere and just. Dismiss everyone who was connected to the previous administration, even though politically it makes sense. Be diplomatic. Be kind. Don't take advantage of people. These are things that David in his heart wanted to do because David in his heart wanted to follow God first and let God take care of the details. And I think that is an awesome place to stop because, oh man... Oh, life gets so complicated for David after this. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. <laughs>